Hello and welcome to this Cloud of Data podcast with your host, Paul Miller. Today I talk with John Schroeder, CEO and co-founder of MapR Technologies. MapR is perhaps one of the better known of the Hadoop distributions out there at the moment, alongside competitors such as Cloudera and Hortonworks. In this conversation with John, we explore a little of the value behind Hadoop as an, as an ecosystem, as an open source software project, and then begin to try and understanding some of the ways in which companies such as his own add value on top of this open source core. I hope you find this conversation with John useful, and we'll come back to the cloud of data for future podcasts in this series in the near future. Thank you. John, thank you very much for joining me for this podcast today. Before we get into some of the details around MAPR and the, the big data industry in general, can you tell listeners a bit about yourself and your own background, please? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thanks, Paul, for uh, having us part of your program today. Um, I'm uh, John Schroeder. I'm the CEO and co-founder of MAPR Technologies. And MAPR was incorporated uh, in 2009 by myself and ex-Googler uh, MC Srivas who worked on you know, big data technologies at Google for a number of years. Um, we're uh, excited about the company. Big data is, is the, the juggernaut for you know, 2013, 2014, and Hadoop is certainly at the core of big data. And uh, we're excited to be part of that. So MAPAR is clearly you know, in the Hadoop space, in the big data space, um, as are a number of other companies. You know, whenever there's talk of Hadoop, you tend to hear Cloudera mentioned or Hortonworks or MapR or any of a number of others. For someone coming into that space from outside, it can be a little confusing. Um, from the inside, do you see an easy way to differentiate those different companies? You know, is it, is it in terms of the technology? Is it in terms of the markets? Or is it in terms of the sort of package of services they wrap around that, that Hadoop core? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, in one regard, all three companies are very similar as far as we all um, do a tremendous amount of work as part of the Apache Hadoop community. And, and we've maintained very good portability between the top three distributions. And both of those uh, activities and that, that um, standardization really make Hadoop a very safe choice for companies across all major verticals. So, you know, Hadoop is, uh, is seeing a wave of adoption that's you know, probably unprecedented since like open source, or I'm sorry, uh, open systems relational database back in the 90s. So, you know, very, very disruptive technology. So, um, so it's a safe, safe choice for a, CEO, a CIO today as far as having the you know, broadest range of products and services available and people that know how to build applications and a growing set of technologies all around Hadoop. So when you get down to the, the three primary distributions in the market, and I, I do think you know, 99% of the Hadoop installations running today are running one of one of the three. Um, probably the the difference is uh, that I that we think is most important is the the quality of the of the technology provided. So we we take in that open source um, technology, which is I think we have 16 Apache projects and sub projects included in our distribution today. And we run that on top of a MapR patented uh, data platform. And we've also built a very strong management suite around that. So we believe that the, the, the criteria for choosing a Hadoop distribution should really be made on technical merit. Um, so we've basically transformed Hadoop to be extremely reliable as a compute platform, very dependable, as dependable as enterprise storage for a storage platform. Uh, we've sped it up times at least 2x over the other distributions out there, so you get much faster results to analytic queries. And you can also save a little money by reducing the hardware footprint required to run your application use cases. And we made it a lot easier for people new to Hadoop to learn how to build Hadoop-based applications and run them in production and make them interoperate with everything else that resides in their data center. Um, 
So we've really, uh, we feel like based on technical merit, we compete, you know, very, very favorably in the marketplace today. Um, regarding the competitors, I think uh, while we all are, you know, participants in the Apache community, probably Horton um, is most uh, positioned around their uh, open source uh, content, so they seem to you know, push that agenda harder, which is interesting because as innovations like Hadoop 2.0 and including a technology called Yarn come out, they really find their way into all the distributions out there. I think Cloudera is trying to change their position. So over the last year, they really clearly come out and said they're going to build you know, proprietary technology into the Cloudera uh, distribution and try to differentiate themselves in the marketplace more uh, going forward. So, uh, so I guess to sum up, I think you know we see ourselves as the technology leader with the best implementation of Hadoop, still industry standard, uh, and still you know big participants in the Apache open source community. And you managed to retain that standards compliance and that interoperability, even whilst um, delivering the the performance gains and the the speed improvements and things you were talking about. How do you manage to do both? Uh, it's actually core to the strategy. The you know the application layer, everything that touches the application, uh, we feel uh, needs to be delivered as an Apache open source project. So at the top of the stack where you're writing your application, you're you're coding your application to Apache projects that have. Uh, you know, standard interfaces. So you'd code your application to use Hive or Pig or HBase, uh, things along those nature. So um, as you develop those apps, since they're developed against an open source project, it's basically the same implementation in each one of the distributions. They're all really binary compatible. So you don't have to even recompile uh, an application to move it between distributions. And then what we've where we put our innovations in, it's really in the engine underneath. So it's how the how the bits are put on disk and um, providing that reliability, efficiency, um, and also providing you know instant um, stateful failover for all the software and hardware components, things of that nature. So so you get that operational excellence without creating a you know discontinuity with regards to application programming APIs. Okay, good. And we were talking there about some of the the advances and advantages that MapR offers over some of the other distributions. Um, and I think, you know, th those are fairly widely accepted as interesting MapR innovations. And almost despite that, at least if you believe something as possibly unscientific as, say, Google Trends, um, almost despite that, Cloudera seems to hold the bulk of the mind share. Why do you think that is? And sort of, do, do you sit there sometimes saying, we've done all this amazing stuff, it's, it's just not fair? Well, uh, I, think, uh, I think I would agree that the market understands the three distributions pretty well. They'd say MapR is absolutely the technology leader and has the best distribution in the market. And they'd say, yes, Cloudera is the, the best-known brand in the market. So I think that you're, you're characterizing it accurately. Um, it depends where you spend your money as a company. As a, you know, do, you, do you invest in running national trade shows? Um, how heavily do you invest in marketing and PR? I mean, certainly we, we invest to the level required to generate demand for our, our products, but um, we're, 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 we're not... We're not as aggressive with our outbound marketing as I would think Cloudera is and their activities. They also do more around professional services and education than we do. Um, most of our sales and revenue come from selling licenses to our software technology. So I think they also gain some mind share over you know, running public training classes and things like that. Um, in the end, I think every customer who's serious about a Hadoop deployment is going to have knowledge of at least the top three, if not a couple more distributions in the market. And then once they do a competitive you know, bake-off or a competitive evaluation, we feel really confident that we win you know, more than our share. Okay, good. Thank you. So, you know, talking about mindshare and going 
stepping back a bit from Hadoop specifically, big data, and I think you said this at the start, you know, big data has a lot of mindshare right now. It's on the front of magazines, it's on the front of newspapers, it's on the television, it's on endless adverts at airports. Um, and Hadoop's clearly responsible for, for a large part of that. But there's an awful lot of noise and an awful lot of froth in this area. Um, what proportion of that noise do you think can be put down to companies who are doing real valuable good stuff with their data and how much of it is just noise? And, and how is that going to change, I guess, over the next you know, year to 18 months? Well, yeah, big data certainly is at the, the top of the hype curve, and then it's become an overloaded term like, like others that we've, we've had in the marketplace over the last few years. I think, you know, if you had a, a, a virtualized big data cloud, you'd have the <laughs> hottest thing in the world, and no one would have a clue what your product is, right? Yeah, but they'd all buy so many, it. <laughs> uh, yeah, they all buy it. Yeah, so we, I think, as a, as a marketplace, we've you know, thoroughly confused our customers with everything from you know, old enterprise storage to an old data warehouse um, to newer technologies are all trying to grasp this uh, hot new term of big data. I think, you know, at the core, I mean, what's really the disruptive technology? I think Hadoop is by far the most disruptive. I mean, you can build apps that you never could build before. It's not just incrementally better than your traditional data warehouse. It's, um, it's disruptive. I mean, if you look at, you know, just enterprise storage is probably around $9,000 a terabyte. And if you put a database or data warehouse on it, that can go as high as $40,000 a terabyte. So the programming built around those technologies was to, you know, flatten and summarize data and uh, do that to you know, create some efficiencies because it was not as scalable as things like Hadoop. You know, with Hadoop, with MapR, you're getting, including, uh, your, including hardware costs, you're getting complete compute, storage, network connectivity, and a fully programmable software stack for under $1,000 a terabyte. So there's a, it's a cost advantage, but it also causes a disruption where you can do things in a much different way. You can keep you know, raw transactional, raw log data, things like that on, on spinning disk or flash so you can access it for you know, a new class of applications. So I do think uh, the, you know, the market's been thoroughly confused by what's now an overloaded term, big data. But I think the core is you know, around Hadoop um, and maybe some other technologies as well. I think MongoDB with you know, probably in excess of 5 million downloads is also you know, a, a bona fide um, big data technology. Um, but at the core, I think the real disruptive technologies are Hadoop uh, and potentially MongoDB. Um, and when will that all calm down? Well, I think we have a number of years before you know, this will hit what eventually will be what the trough of disillusionment is what Gartner calls it. Yes. And, um, uh, and the market's becoming more educated, so I think they're understanding how to how to shift through the the noise in the market and really find the most valuable technologies. And looking at those organisations that are putting, I guess, predominantly Hadoop to work, what are some of the most valuable use cases? You know, people talk about holding all of logs in memory and talk about you know holding all of your customer database, but in terms of actually seeing a valuable, tangible return, what are some of those use cases that you look at and just go, you know, wow? Well, it's interesting. I could go through a litany of, of use cases that are all around driving revenue. So, you know, certainly, you know, targeted marketing. You know, we've got, you know, the largest retail in the world deploying MapR on 2,000 servers. And, you know, it, during... To, by the end of 2014, they'll be able to know, you know, not only what you did on their e-tailing site, but they'll also be able to know exactly what row and aisle you're standing in in one of their uh, retail outlets. So there's a tremendous amount around, you know, offer serving and targeted marketing. Um, uh, we got the largest deployment in financial services with a uh, running all the uh, credit card risk and fraud for uh, over 100 million card members, and that's around. You know, creating a more um, 
competitive platform in the market if they can avoid false positives, if they can provide a higher quality of service with regard to risk and fraud, that's going to drive business. I'd say on the, the more interesting side, I don't know if you, have you heard of a project in India called Aadhaar? No. Okay, so um, MapR was chosen last year uh, to run Aadhaar or be the platform uh, underneath Aadhaar. So Aadhaar is the uh, project in India to provide a unique identifier to every resident of India. So it's 1.2 billion residents. You know, they don't have the concept of like a social security number in India. So mobility, uh, the commercial transactions are, are very difficult as you have to establish your residency by reference. And so it's a, it's a great enabler for the population of India. And uh, the way it's implemented is uh, really the largest biometric database in the world. And so for every resident, you get a, a iris scan, digital fingerprints, uh, the photograph, as well as text-based data like your name and address and date of birth. And that's put in the, in the, in the map R. So uh, there's one aspect of it that you have to be a very scalable data store to store this huge biometric database. There's another aspect, which is <coughs> providing authentications for millions of residents simultaneously. So you can imagine uh, today there's 400, over 435 million residents in the system, and at any given time, um, millions of them may be you know, at an ATM or at another um, uh, instance of being authenticated. So, and that authentication has to be done in 200 milliseconds or less. So that was uh, one of the aspects that drove Aadhaar toward MapR was to be able to do both the storage and analytics, but also be able to do the operational use case of authenticating <coughs> potentially, you know, millions of residents simultaneously. And the net-net is uh, some of the benefits that I, I outlined to, to begin here with, uh, you know, easing uh, the establishment of residency, but it also is reducing embezzlement by as much as uh, $1.3 billion a year in government entitlements. So it's, a, it's a, one that's a little more interesting than the targeting mouse clicks. <laughs> and, and presumably one that will pay for itself quite quickly with that sort of level of embezzlement. Yeah, I mean, what happens is uh, uh, the systems are over there are frauded by, you know, I go in and one, uh, one day as John, collect my entitlement, go in as Paul the next day. So it can uh, preclude that sort of uh, embezzlement of government entitlements and, yeah, basically fund itself. And presumably a system like that raises one or, one or two security challenges. Is that MAPAR's problem to solve, or is MAPAR just one part of a system where someone else worries about making sure 1.2 billion irises aren't being stolen? Yeah, and security has been an area that you know we've had to um, uniquely address in the market. So we we did release a version of our product this year that had uh, uh, a tremendous enhancement to security. Uh, for projects like Aadhaar and also for projects that um, are providing multi-tenancy to a, to a data hub. So as you take a, a MapR implementation, you want to share it between um, uh, different workloads and different departments, perhaps different subsidiaries. Um, you need to be able to provide very high security. Um, so we, we, we did implement... Uh, a set of uh, security enhancements that really uh, do a much better job authenticating requests into the cluster and uh, integrate with technologies like uh, Kerberos to even encrypt um, data that's on the wire. So it's another key criteria for Aadhaar plus uh, uh, any company that's implementing Hadoop for multi-tenancy or most of the companies that are in the financial services or healthcare space as well. Yeah, yes, indeed. So it sounds from the sort of examples you were giving there that Hadoop is definitely moving beyond sort of proof of concept type work towards real implementations, you know, 1.2 billion Indians. 
Oh, absolutely. In you know, 2,000 server deployment in retail, over 1,000 server deployment in financial services. Uh, it's still it's still a bit early. I mean, we 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 do see uh, some companies that are leaders in every segment. I would say in telco, there's probably more consistency of implementation across the the major telcos. Um, financial services, the top firms all have implementations, but uh, there are a few that are far ahead of the others. So uh, it has matured dramatically in 2013. We see that in our our sales pipeline and forecast for 2014. And uh, but still, uh, it's it's still a, a lumpy market as far as uh, companies moving into production with production deployments. Um, far more this year than last year, and far more last year than the year before. Um, and then a tremendous amount of new companies entering the market as well. You know, building their first use case or application. Yeah, good. So one one to watch. Now, a big issue with the Hadoop project, at least early on, was that it was very difficult to integrate Hadoop into existing enterprise processes and workflows. So a lot of early adoption use cases, Hadoop was effectively a separate silo, and you dumped data into it, you analysed it, and it was stale before you'd finished the query. Is that still the case or are solutions from companies such as MAPAR beginning to put that right and actually see Hadoop properly integrated into enterprise workflows and security, audit, compliance and all of that stuff that enterprises worry about? Yeah, I think I think we're doing pretty well there. I think um, if you look at what's what the more advanced uh, Hadoop implementations are doing today is they're implementing what they sometimes call a data hub, other times a data lake. Um, the hub's probably significant because it implies that connectivity. So let's say you're taking transactional data, you'd have the initial landing place be your Hadoop um, cluster, but then you need that connectivity to feed a number of other systems. Um, and even the data ingest may come through, you know, trailing the log of a transactional database. That might be one of your data feeds. So um, so definitely the interoperability has gotten better. I think we do see successful implementations of data hubs. And, you know, some of the key technologies there um, are out in the community and, the, and maybe even the general ecosystem where companies like, you know, Informatica and Talon and others have built, you know, good good connectors to be able to do transformation and data governance for data that's uh, being stored in Hadoop. And then some of it is by um, vendors like MapR. So we built you know, a POSIX compliant data platform that you can access via industry standard NFS that makes it much easier to have it plug and play, let's say with downstream data warehouses or databases. Um, and then a tremendous amount in the community as well with uh, technologies like the Project Scoop that help with that connectivity. So I think there's a, you know, such a need for this in the market today to create this ability to build a data hub that you're seeing you know, an ecosystem of vendors, uh, the community and the Hadoop distribution vendors all providing you know, various techniques to uh, be able to connect and uh, inter- integrate uh, legacy technologies with uh, Hadoop and with the the primary goal in mind for many companies is to create this data hub that'll be their data of record uh, in an unstructured format uh, that can feed you know many other uh, enterprise systems. Now, a data hub or a data lake sounds, I guess, to some listeners, worryingly like an enterprise data warehouse. Um, there are probably a lot of listeners who've lost a lot of hair um, trying to build or, or make an enterprise data warehouse work. Um, how, if that is one of the ways that an, a data lake or data hub could evolve, how do we prevent creating the mistakes, re- recreating the, the mistakes of the past? You know, where enterprise data warehouses were multi-year projects that, frankly, often didn't deliver. Yeah, I think, uh, in, I think a lot of that is addressed by the nature of Hadoop as far as, if you look at the data warehouse, it was structured data. So every, 
every new data source or every change to the format or structure of a data source had to be um, processed by, let's say, a database administrator. So, uh, so it was very hard to ingest new data types without a long delay to analyze how does the structure of that data fit with the structure of my data warehouse and how do I normalize that. And then the, the change process was very difficult. So, you know, let's say you had a table defined and you wanted to change, you know, uh, customer number to a customer ID. So it used to be a, a binary and now you want it to be a character string. Well, that change was pretty painful in a data warehouse. You'd have to unload all the associated tables, alter the structure, and then run a load that would convert that, that data structure. So it tended to be, you know, too static and um, required too much manual DBA work to normalize those structures, which is very different than Hadoop. I mean, Hadoop deals with both structured and, stru and unstructured data. So if you, if you have structure to your data that's well understood, you can, you can build that into your Hadoop distribution by defining that structure and technologies like hCatalog. But you can also very quickly ingest data without having to predefine that structure. And should that structure change in the future, Hadoop will just adapt to that change without any manual intervention. So I think the this, having that combination of centralized uh, structure or centralized metadata and self-describing data um, makes it uh, much more feasible to implement a, a data hub or a data lake. And then secondarily, there's the 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 much different cost structure that I discussed earlier. If you can save data at less than $1,000 a terabyte all in for hardware software, you don't have to spend as much time, you know, flattening, summarizing, um, you know, shrinking the size of your, your data uh, in your warehouse or data hub. Uh, you, you've got a lot more latitude to keep, you know, multiple years of data uh, available for both analytics reporting even operational use cases. So I think those are some fundamental differences um, that, you know, kind of eliminate the bottleneck of database administration. And, uh, and then you get the cost structures that allow for much larger data sets. And the sort of free form and unstructured nature of Hadoop, you know, it's, it's adaptability, which you were talking about there. That fits okay with the sort of the managed and controlled view that an enterprise might want to take over, you know, the one truth around its data, say, for example, the one record of a customer? Yeah, it's really the, um, the you know, the ultimate solution as far as most, I would argue that most of the data in, it, it's stored in every Hadoop cluster is structured. And, you know, if you look at log data or transactional data, which is probably, you know, over 80% of the data stored in Hadoop today, it all has a structure to it. Um, the difference is you don't have to define a centralized uh, dictionary or catalog that describes that structure that becomes unwieldy. That's, that's where it becomes too much overhead. So the data does have some structure, but Hadoop is much more flexible and adaptable to ingest new data sources and, and, and adapt to changing data sources. Um, you know, so you've got self-describing objects that can be described, let's say, as a, a JSON object. So the data presents itself and its structure together. And if that structure changes in the future, the next time an application reads that structure, it's going to get that new structure information. It makes sense? Yes, it does. And presumably a manager or, or someone in charge could impose control in some of these ways as well and, and prevent the, the Hadoop from adapting unless they actually want it to. Yeah, yeah. I think, and then I think there is an area that we're just growing into, which is around data governance, yep. and that's where I think there's good activity within the Hadoop community, but also um, from companies that serve that purpose, you know, such as you know, like Informatica or Talon in the past, can can help with uh, the the transformations, but also deal with things like data lineage and and uh, challenges like that. So um, as the as a requirement for data governments increases, I think the Hadoop community is responding, but I think there's also, you know, vendors that have done uh, that type of technology for years that also have, you know, good integration with Hadoop.
Yes, that's a, a good point. And I guess, you know, the, the stuff we were just talking about around the 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 mix between, you know, Hadoop flexibility and, and data warehouse control sort of leads us on to another another topic as well, which is the whole thing of NoSQL, um, which is one thing that, one idea that Hadoop has been quite closely associated with in the past. You know, NoSQL started off, I guess, as no SQL, none at all. Um, and people were happy that they were escaping the limitations of structure and the relational database. And then the dialogue sort of shifted a bit and NoSQL became not only SQL. So a recognition that SQL, the, the query language, actually delivered some value. How does that fit into sort of the, the Hadoop world? Are we not seeing, you know, a lot of the flexibility that people were so happy about originally now being rolled back a little bit and, you know, a, a recognition that structure matters and, and controlled queries matter and actually there is a place for things like SQL still? Oh, uh, yeah, SQL... SQL continue to play an important role in the data center and, and is, uh, there's a tremendous amount of SQL activity around Hadoop. Now, and you're, you're correct, it started out as uh, no SQL, meaning let's, let's not have it to not only SQL. And now I think we've got, what, maybe five open source projects that are putting SQL interfaces on, on Hadoop and then uh, a number of um, uh, data warehouse vendors that are building their SQL engine so they can interop with, interoperate with Hadoop as well. So um, I'd probably put it in a few different camps. So there's really the where the, the roots of Hadoop began, which was more around predictive batch analytics, which was you could kind of distill down to you've got a massive amount of information. Let's say you've got you know credit card transaction information. And what you do is you run a clustering algorithm against that. And the clustering algorithm allows you to identify, you know, sets of card members, in this case, that have like behavior. So once you get those clusters built, then you, you can use, let's say, a recommendation engine to serve offers to those card members. Or if you're concerned about risk and fraud, certainly if one person on a cluster is subject to fraud, it raises the probability that other people in that same cluster are going to be subject to fraud. So you had really this, this core kind of batch algorithm around clustering some set of data and then drawing some inferences from those clusters and being able to do things like recommendations and decision making based on the, the clustering. And where Hadoop was better is it could do that against, you know, petabytes of the data on a very frequent basis. So the clustering ends up being very, very accurate compared to trying to do it on, let's say, sample data on a less frequent basis. So, so that was really kind of the core, and SQL doesn't have as much uh, utility there. So certainly you can code that in Hive in a SQL call, and Hive would generate that batch job for you, but many customers would, would use um, you know, non-SQL alternatives to building those types of batch predictive analytics. Um, what you're seeing in the market today with a lot of activity around um, open source SQL and also proprietary SQL on Hadoop is around, you know, business intelligence and data exploration. And those are um, activities that, you know, companies have used for years. You know, they'd say, well, you know, show me my product sales by quarter. Now drill down on Q3. Now show it to me by region. Now show it to me by uh, discount. And so it's sort of data, data exploration. There's a a huge population of analysts and uh, that understand how to um, either use use SQL to do that sort of data exploration, business intelligence, that interactive uh, activity, or they're used to using tools, uh, whether they're analytic tools um, or uh, visualization tools, like uh, let's say a Tableau. And so there's a, a part of the market that requires. Um, that sort of interactive query. So, you know, it can't, um, if you tried to do that using a batch algorithm, you'd have to be a very, very patient analyst, right, to wait, you know, minutes and minutes or hours to have your query return to issue another query. 
So you're seeing a, a set of projects out there to address that interactive query. Um, then I'd say there's a, a, another class that's more around tables, I guess. So it's not a SQL interface as much as it's a table-based interface or a, a document database. And that can service both analytic needs because it provides some structure to your data that makes it a little easier to process data without the overhead of a, a centralized metastore. And, uh, but also can service uh, operational applications um, where you can do things in you know, hundreds of milliseconds rather than seconds or minutes or hours. And so those three technologies, I think the batch predictive analytics has proven to be very disruptive to the market. I think the table-based interfaces using interfaces like HBase and Hadoop provide a tremendous amount of scale and power to do both analytics and more real-time applications, more operational use cases. And I think there's tremendous value in the middle with this interactive query the service kind of data exploration and uh, business intelligence types of needs. Um, probably a lot of activity around SQL this year just because there's new projects out there. And so they're, you know, the new thing is kind of interesting. Um, and, uh, but I think all three types of use of Hadoop are, are really important. And I think it's, they're also one of the drivers about, that are driving, you know, why Hadoop versus another Another big data technology is it can, you know, Hadoop is growing uh, out of its roots of batch predictive analytics to handle more real time, more operational use cases, and with the SQL projects, um, more traditional data exploration and business intelligence types of use cases. So it's a you know broad platform that can handle many use cases. Okay, good. And and do those different use cases you've just been talking about come with sort of different hardware profiles? I guess, you know, early on, again, the Hadoop project was very much about running across clusters of commodity machines. It was, sort of, it was um, scale out. So you ran lots and lots of very cheap machines and your query was split up across them. Increasingly, over the past year or two, we've seen some of the larger hardware providers, admittedly the ones who have boxes to sell, um, but they've been selling a very different proposition around Hadoop, where you run it on one or two very powerful machines and you scale up. Are they just trying to sell the boxes they have, or does this actually touch on the points you were just making around different use cases? And so there are use cases for scale up, and use cases for scale out. Uh, to be honest with you, I think there's, you know, predominantly, you know, commodity hardware in the marketplace today. The, you know, kind of the appliance market, um, just hasn't seen much uptick. Um, probably because of price point, and somewhat because people want to buy exactly what they want to buy, and when they buy. An appliance, they, they're constrained by the flexibility with regards to, you know, how many disks, disk density, does it have flash, how much memory, how many cores, is it 1 giggy, 10 giggy, dual port. So I think predominantly, I mean, well in excess of 90% are running on, you know, commodity servers. Typically, I would say a, a good, a, a good, uh, Specification for a Hadoop server would probably be a 2U with a dual processor, you know, 12 drives is, uh, you know, the larger drives you can get, you know, two to three terabytes per drive. It'd be a, you know, it hits the price point in the, in the, in the pricing curve. It ends up being, you know, very attractive and can drive the, the cost per terabyte under $1,000, including hardware and software. So, so I, I haven't seen much uptick in appliances um, for uh, some enterprises, I think they have been sold the concept of using like an enterprise storage device behind Hadoop. And we have a few implementations like that, but it's, you know, a handful out of over 500 customers uh, that are, you know, paid license fees for, for MapR. Um, so I think predominantly today we're still seeing, you know, commodity hardware, you know, based on price efficiency, you get, you know, some pretty amazing performance out of that. And, uh, and maybe another way to look at it too is that 
you know, the you know Hadoop's a cloud-based architecture, and if you, you can think about it in one way, it it is built assuming things are going to fail. If you're going to network together a thousand computers with twelve drives per computer, guaranteed you're going to have a stack of broken drives on your desk of your you know IT uh, resource, and they're going to have server failures, they're going to have NIC card failures, they're going to have it's just it's just you know a massive number of devices. And with Hadoop, and particularly MapR, we're extremely resilient to that. So drives go out, servers go out, um, and your applications continue to run and, and fail over. Data is re-replicated to you know, healthy drives, healthy servers. You can add new drives, add new servers, and it, we kind of elegantly load balance onto those new resources. And, and that's one of the reasons why we are successful, why we're so successful in the public cloud is, you know, we're a, an OEM through Amazon and we're included in the Google Compute Engine. Um, and quite a bit of the reason why we were chosen for those applications is we're very resilient to that virtualized environment where uh, workloads can move from server to server and the customers can't incur any downtime because of those, those uh, transitions. So that's a different value proposition. It's saying the software is saying, hey, you can, you can count on there being hardware failures, but don't worry, we're going to take care of it. As opposed to the traditional enterprise vendor was saying, you know what, you really should spend $10,000 a terabyte because my storage will fail less frequently. And when you look at both devices, they both have spinning disks. They both have CPUs. CPUs generate heat. There's a spinning fan to keep the CPU cool. And you know, by nature, those moving parts are going to fail. So it's a very different value proposition. It's a cloud-based architecture with MapR and Hadoop that basically says you don't have to, you know, over-invest in what I would call kind of a false promise that your hardware is never going to fail. Instead, get the hardware that really gives you the best price performance and scalability. Uh, assume there's going to be some failures in hardware, but have a software layer that can be very resilient and, uh, you know, provide you with the ability to, <laughs> um, cope with those sort of uh, hardware failures without any sort of disruption of service. And you mentioned there, you know, the, the cloud-based nature of the Hadoop architecture, and you mentioned your own involvement with Amazon and Google. Now, a lot of, again, early um, you know, Hadoop implementations, a lot of the, the Hadoop clouds were actually private clouds. They were running people's managed environments where they had real control over performance and networking and all the rest of it. How well does the Hadoop sort of workload work on a public cloud, Amazon or, or Google, where you have far less control over things like the network? Uh, I think very successfully. I think the, the technology works very well in public cloud, and we've got a very large number of customers running us, uh, especially on Amazon, um, plus some other cloud pro providers as well. So I think it lends itself there really well. I think that you know, more the barrier to public cloud adoption, why it isn't even bigger than it is today, is probably around the concept of data gravity. Mm -hmm. You know, data tends to want to stay wherever it was generated. So if if you're generating your data in your data center, it's expensive and you know, difficult to get it up in a public cloud. Um, there are some use cases that I think are really interesting. If you look at any sort of telematics uh, use cases where you've got devices in the field logging back, let's say, you know, worldwide, that lend, lend themselves very well to a public cloud implementation. Of course, if you're running your apps and generating your data in the public cloud, then that data gravity will keep it in the cloud. So, uh, so I don't think it's a technology issue as far as control over network resources or tuning the environment. I think it's more around um, data gravity as far as how do you get your your data into a public cloud if it's not already there. And then secondly, you know, it's, it, there's still concerns around security. So um, while with you know the advent of things like uh, you know social networks and Facebook, we've given up all our personal privacy happily. <laughs> uh, in in many of our customers, if you're in the healthcare or financial services, you've had you know higher and higher demands on, on data security, and so 
Uh, I think that's the other blocker that uh, will continue to erode over time, but you know, still remains for public cloud implementations for you know any sort of a, a big data uh, technology. Okay, good. And and as you say, you know, clearly there are customers making use of this stuff in public clouds, and indeed um, companies like Amazon are rolling out dedicated services um, directly tailored to this sort of workload. So it will be interesting to see how that continues to evolve. I'm conscious of the... Yeah, and it's an important... It's a, it, I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt, but it, it's an important part of our strategy. We, we started working with Amazon very early on in Google, and we're, um, we're also building technologies to make sure we run you know, even better in a public cloud uh, to better interoperate with things like S3 storage and... Um, so I do, I do think it's a future. You know, at MapR, I've never had to worry about an email server going down or uh, my accounts, uh, my, uh, my general ledger or, or GNA systems going down. We run all those in the cloud, and I think we're, we're kind of firm believers that, you know, Hadoop will continue to grow in public cloud as well. Um, that said, you know, our, you know probably our, our, our largest implementations to date are, are, are still are shared private cloud. Mm, yeah, that's that's interesting. So I'm conscious of the time. So just um, you know, one final sort of high level question to to wrap us up. Um, as we've already said, Hadoop has probably most of the big data mindshare, um, but by no means all of it. Um, and you know, we sort of sometimes look back fondly to a past which possibly never existed. Um, where you just picked MySQL or Postgres or Oracle and did everything in it. Um, increasingly, the big data space, there seem to be new sort of big data projects every time you happen to look. And they're all often very tightly focused on a very narrow workload, and they do it incredibly well. Um, but if you're a CIO or a CTO trying to manage an enterprise IT estate, that's a nightmare. Um, and maybe you actually start laying down the law and, and not letting some of these projects in. Now, clearly, Hadoop is growing in capability um, and breadth of, of capability. Um, but some of these other projects aren't. Do you think we're soon going to reach a point where this sort of continuous explosion in new big data projects slows down or stops? Um, or are we stuck with this for a while yet? I think uh, I think we're 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 going to see continued explosive growth, especially for Hadoop. And and I think the I think what you're referring to there is you know would you have silos of data or uh, unnecessary number of you know complex technologies to mm. to deal with in a data center? And uh, you know I, I I would say that you know things rarely get unplugged. So whatever investments been, have been made in, in data warehouse and database will probably continue on, although I think the future growth is, is going to Hadoop. So um, this concept of a data hub is very, very popular, and it's serviced well by Hadoop for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is that Hadoop can and continues to grow in the breadth of use cases that it can support. So as you move from you know, batch predictive analytics to interactive business intelligence to operational applications, it provides value to be able to do all those applications on a single technology and not have to move data or train people uh, to, to work on multiple technologies. Um, I think the connectors will continue. So there'll be continued investments to both consume data and also feed data to many other systems in the enterprise. So I think that will continue. I would say if you look at any sort of a trending, I think you are seeing um, a consolidation on Hadoop as far as, you know, when I was uh, looking at the market in 2008, you heard a lot about Hadoop, but you also heard about, you know, Voldemort and VoltDB and, um, Clusterix and Couchbase and Numbase and there are you know many many emerging technologies and I think you know those you're seeing you know you know less and less of and uh, you know the uh, the emerged and growing market leader is really around Hadoop so 
I think we're going to continue to see explosive growth and mostly based on uh, Hadoop implementations, you know, based on the ability to run a broad set of use cases and great interoperability with everything else in the data center. And how important are services going to be in that? You know, um, for a company like MapR, are enterprises increasingly going to take and install your software and just do everything they need? Or is there sort of a, a professional services play for the foreseeable future in terms of helping those organizations to, to work in a new way? Uh, I think I think ProServe will be important the same way it has been with other emerging platforms. Uh, we we do have our own ProServe organization that can do either you know operational um, professional services engagements or also around the the data scientist you know use case discovery uh, algorithm selection things of that nature. But you know integrators from you know boutiques that, that specialize in big data Hadoop to the largest in the in the world are, you know, forming practices around Hadoop. And so I think it's it's going to be an important component like it has been with, you know, database or ERP or sales automation. Um, but I, And there is a, a, a somewhat of a shortage of trained people today. On the other hand, there's a tremendous stampede of people that are being trained and gaining experience and want to be trained and gain experience with Hadoop. So uh, I think it's one of the other reasons why it's a, it's a safe bet for a CIO. Uh, they're going to be able to to draw on those resources as needed um, to make themselves successful. Okay, very good. Um, I think that's us just about out of time. So, I mean, John, thank you very much for your time. It's been great talking to you, and I, I look forward to following MapR and seeing where you go next. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Take care. Bye-bye.